0: Drive-by Cinema Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun Hello and welcome to Season 2 Episode mm, 24, let's say, of Drive-by Cinema Confirming that rumours are untrue and we are both still alive Hooray! This is my co-host
1: Paul I don't know if that's a cause of celebration for other people, but it is for me. Welcome, everybody, to episode 24 of series two of Drive by Cinema. Yeah, and uh, I'm with my co host, uh, the irritable and veritable, that made no sense, Richard.
0: Irritable, yes, thank you. Yeah, you'll know when we're dead because there'll just be one big clip show, aren't there? Of bits of the podcast that we couldn't. Well, I mean, this processes.
1: week's podcast almost didn't occur, and we were going to get a video clip show of things that happened oh, well, uh, 14 well, years ago, Richard. Well, come on to that. Come things on to that. that should never be see the light of day. I still
0: don't know that you have the power to stop me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is it, you know. If I were Ukraine and Richard were Russia, then this would be the situation.
0: Well, I'm about to invade you.
1: Well, there's very little I can do apart from pay some sort of a serious tribute to stop this very happening.
0: Very topical, Paul. Speaking of topical, we have to thank Jolien for putting us straight about the Michelin um, logo character. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I kind of knew about
1: that anyway.
0: You didn't mention it on the podcast, though, did you?
1: I didn't mention it, but Jolien knows about more, more about it. He I knew, is well placed. Yeah. I knew the kind of Latin term for it: "bibendum." "Nunc it es some... bibendum. Yeah, that's all I knew.
0: Which means time to drink.
1: Does it? Does it not?
0: It, time it, to it drink.
1: does. Now is the time for drinking to happen, kind of thing.
0: So Julian clarified, and he provided a picture on the Discord, which you can see if you're on the Discord. I advise you to try it out, in which. Uh, an old Michelin advertising placard shows that guy, made out of bike tyres or whatever, they're quite thin, weren't they, uh, drinking a glass full of like screws and nails and broken glass and stuff. And the idea being that these tyres just drink up the the, the the things on the road that would normally puncture other tyres. Ah. Drinks up obstacles or something, I think it says at the bottom. Is that the idea? I think so. The theory is that Jolyon put forward was that by the time automobiles had been democratised and everyone was starting to get them, uh, lots of people who didn't know Latin suddenly were seeing this advertising placard, and so he became known as Bibendum, even though it's really just part of the advertising slogan, not the name of the character as such, but he, he is now known as Bibendum. I always thought it was like a piece of it sounds like part of your intestines, doesn't it, your Bebendum? So just next to your duodenum or something. <laughs> Cause he looks kind of intestinal. I was that was my association that I always had in my mind. It could be like a sprocket, whatever sprockets are <laughs> I think a sprocket is a sprocket is part of a of a gear cog, isn't it?
1: Oh. I'm no wiser. Richard knows the term for pinions and the thing that holds the ratchet. Ratchet. He, he knows. He knows. He he likes to mention these terms. Like, there's the ratchet and the thing that holds the ratchet as it goes round. Pull. It's pull. There you go. Ratchet he also. Pull. You should. You should know that pull. <laughs> he also knows a term for like those three-legged. Uh, Tripod supports that hold up roller coasters. He's going to say it now. What, stanchion? There we go. (laughs) Anyway. If you want a technical term, go to Richard. Where were we, Richard? Sorry, i I spoiled your flow.
0: No, I think, well, I was just dealing with correction and addition, really, from a listener, wasn't I? Which I found enriching. I thought I would share it. Thank you, Again, John, all on the for, Discord, encouraging people to go to the Discord. For
1: Pull, your deep knowledge of the Michelin company.
0: It's been a long time since we've recorded,
1: owing to,
0: well, you know, let's not no. go into private medical matters.
1: Well, COVID, well, is it? It's all that COVID nonsense, isn't it? So, yeah. We, yeah. Y- y- what, are you saying that you've had COVID. I have. Touch wood. Touch wood I don't have anymore. I'm going to recover. Uh, there has been a long trail of recovery, but I don't think it's long COVID. I just think it's an exhausted body, slowly recuperating. Touch wood, of course.
0: Just about everyone has had Omicron. It's more contagious than measles. It's
1: crazy. Yeah. I mean, It's kind of, it's a bit less fun though, because as I remember, measles didn't hurt in any way, shape or form, did it? It would just have the potential to sterilise you, as an adult. Is that what measles does, or is that German measles, or is that chickenpox? Because they're all. I don't all think safe, you're supposed to they?
0: call diseases by the names of countries anymore. It no, we're seems... not.
1: Oh, wait, what? What do you call German measles these days? I don't know. I don't know. Is it rubella, or is that something different? It is rubella, yeah. But what's chickenpox then? But anyway, so I think chickenpox is a really itchy one that you weren't supposed to rub the scabs off were you.
0: That's true, yes Yeah. Measles,
1: but, uh, there's a rash
0: associated with measles though I curious. had measles twice as a kid Oh Which you're not supposed to be able to do, of course Well done, an achievement of sorts Yeah, I think I've got the kind of immune system that needs a couple of goes at things So.
1: Ah, uh, I guess a male immune system Oh Are you? Do you suffer from man colds also?
0: Well, don't we all?
1: Men, anyway but- as the ladies are about to point out, it's not as bad as pregnancy, so there we go. Uh, so, so, yes, COVID, over and done with, hopefully, until the next until the variant. Next variant comes along a six months time. Uh, it wasn't that bad. Not that I'm gloating for people that have had a rough time with it, or have lost people because of it, but, you know, I, I kind of knew I had it, uh, the intense internal headache that kind of radiated throughout my brain, uh, and... Just the ridiculously fast beating palpitations of my heart, the day before I, you know, took my first lateral flow test, uh, and one night where I thought if I fall asleep I'm probably not going to wake up. But apart from that, it's pretty much okay.
0: Sounds a that sounds terrifying, and b if it was okay, <laughs> why didn't we record? <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, so uh, so it's your turn next, Richard, to get this infernal stuff.
0: And we do still have to meet, because I actually do have a Secret Christmas Santa present. Christmas present for
1: you. When you say it's a anyway, secret, secret Santa Christmas present, do you mean it's really shitty?
0: I don't mean it's really shitty, Paul. That's, don't prejudge. How dare you prejudge well, my listen, every generous time, gift?
1: Every time I've played Secret Santa, and it's not been it's been a few years now, but I have played it you know, several times. Did you get a pages. bar of soap? It's always been <laughs> Wra- something really... Real <laughs> I've always like put £15, 20 £25 pounds into my Secret Santa, thinking, you know, Woo! just random gift. Hey, big spender. Uh, and then literally, you know, it's it's been like the worst thing, like a key ring or something that I pull out. So.
0: Hey, don't knock a key ring. Good key ring. That'll see you through.
1: Not a particularly good key ring.
0: What about a key ring that has a tracker device on it so you can find your keys if you lose them? Oh, that's good. Or you can stalk people with them as well, of course, uh, sadly, <laughs> as we discover. In the news this week, uh, listen, Paul. What when you were when you were ill? Did you did you console yourself by listening to lots of podcasts?
1: <laughs> no, no. I actually watched an almost unfathomable amount of TV. I, I don't what? watch TV normally.
0: Oh gosh! Oh dear. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Thank
0: you. We uh, well, I was thinking because when I was ill for a night with an infected wisdom tooth and i could not sleep at all one
1: one week i've been there
0: i got awful. through the night just by listening to podcast after podcast podcasts are really good for that you can just you can close your eyes you can rest but you're entertained nonetheless
1: did you drift off at no point
0: Oh, maybe 20 minutes between throbs and i was absolutely exhausted but yeah not not proper sleep So, we've been through the wars anyway, Paul. We (laughs) have.
1: Right, after this litany of, not complaints, but uh, uh, medical complaints, Richard, it it behooves me to ask, what on earth are we talking about this week?
0: Okay. So, this week, we're going to listen to a short snatch of your excellently produced music.
1: (laughs) And then find out, yeah?
0: And then find out. Now, this movie was a recommendation from listener Adam. And we have to explain, by the way, that in the last episode, we had suggested that we were going to listen, or watch, we were going to watch Spider-Man No Way Home.
1: Some of us have watched that. But I think it might be coming off the movie theatres at some point, Richard. So if you want to watch it, get ahead and get a move on and go and watch it.
0: Well, you fell ill and I assumed we wouldn't be going to the cinema. So I didn't make any efforts to go. Yeah. And I'm but, a bit yeah, I'm a bit of a house cat now anyway. So given the slightest opportunity not to go to the cinema, I guess I, I leapt on it.
1: Could what? you not pay somebody to go in the cinema with some sort of AR and transmit... The experience back to you.
0: I could, yeah, I could put my VR uh, headset on, couldn't I, and watch as if I was in the cinema. It's a great idea, actually. There you go. So I haven't seen Spider Man No Way Home. You have subsequently after
1: have, recovering. Yeah. Well, so good for m- you. My first day out, stepping out, you know, of the igloo into the wild of a normal life. I thought, what should I do? And I thought, I know I'll just pop into the cinema and watch a movie. And it was still on. I wasn't expecting it to be still on, because I hadn't been paying attention to anything for two weeks. So, yeah, so that's what I did. But it's not what we're watching this week, is it?
0: No. So instead of that, I substituted a movie we could watch at home, which Adam had suggested. And he suggested it because he felt that it had relevance to our discussions about free will. That came up in the previous movie that we wa- that we watched.
1: Oh well, what do we say about that? Yeah, that's a great
0: question. What what even did we watch? <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Matrix. Matrix resurrection. Ah, oh no. And before go. that, encounter. Encounter. Where Riz Armored got, you know, not oh, well. Mentally oh, that,
1: unstable. I see that deeply intellectual movie in the middle of Nevada. Yes, I remember.
0: And he got uh, the idea that he, was being, that he was fighting an alien invasion. But, but Matrix also had free will-related issues, always has, of course. Yeah. Dogville proposed because of its relationship to the concept of free will.
1: Okay, can I just give a quick intro to Dogville, and Richard can add the bits I've missed out. It's 2003. It's Dogville. It's kind of starring or co-starring. Uh, Nicole, Nicole, Barbie. Sorry, Nicole Kidman, and also Paul frickin' Bettany, who was in every movie it seemingly during that era, and he's uh, one of your lot,
0: isn't he? He's a Harkonnen.
1: and and also one of our favourites, Stellan. And I can't say his last name. Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Okay, he appears again, uh, and narrated by John Hurt. So John Hurt, great cast. As we'll get onto it, you know the. The set and the staging and the scenery possibly wasn't the most expensive aspect of this movie, but the actors <laughs> certainly were. A budget of ten million. Return in the box office are rather disappointing, sixteen point seven. But its genre is formally entitled experimental art house. So there we go. Directed
0: and written by,
1: oh, who knows? Do you know Lars Richard? von Trier? Lars who von the Trier. hell is she? She
0: he well. He's got I a reputation I wasn't misgendering there. I wasn't misgendering. He's got pronouns. a
1: reputation for. I was inquiring about pronouns <laughs> for anybody who's getting angry at this point Sorry. He
0: Richard, has go. a reputation for some quite uh, what, risque or challenging uh, films. Yeah. So maybe. Yeah. With...
1: Yeah, I can see that. Huh?
0: Maybe worth um, <laughs> checking out some of his other stuff.
1: What's his name again? Lars von Trier. There we go. Lars von Trier. New blockbuster from Lars von Trier this autumn. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, Richard, I don't particularly know where to start talking about this movie. I have to be honest. It's a film told in
0: nine chapters. It's bloody long. Let's start off. It is long. I agree. It's very long. Nine chapters, Paul. And and they explained that at the beginning. This is a film told in nine chapters.
1: Nine chapters and two minutes short of three hours. Are chapters
0: a sensible way of presenting a motion picture? Question. Normally motion pictures are presented like a play in terms of acts, are they not? Like act one, act two, act three. And formulaically, there's usually quite a prescriptive mechanism for doing stories in that format. There you know, is Act 1 is the introduction and getting things set up. You know, Act 2 is usually the hero coming up against an obstacle uh, and sort of failing, you know. And then Act 3 is the redemption from that failure, overcoming the obstacles to the you know, happy conclusion.
1: True. But I mean normally in movies, Richard, we have a set that somehow aims to mimic the real world. Ah, whereas ah, here, ah, so here, Paul, here, we think, wait, think, here we have a set. Here we have a set that is mimicking the theatre, representing the real world. So it's. I think we really do have to talk about the
0: elephant in the room here, don't we, Paul? <laughs> what the extravagant pretension? No, you, you know the elephant, Paul. You need. It's it's in the way. It's not an appropriate pet. I don't know why you thought it was a good idea. <laughs> it may start off small, but it's going to grow. And it's not suitable for an apartment.
1: This is true. This movie. The element in, in the room is the element
0: in the room that is that this film doesn't have any set or location other than a black painted soundstage with white chalk outlines of the buildings of this the township of Dogville.
1: Now, this has been claimed to be profound and thought-provoking, but I'm rather at a loss as to how this is profound and thought-provoking. I know Richard is a particular fan of concrete negative space. (laughs) With this in mind, he might be able to make the intellectual quantum leap toward explaining why this decision to have... Exceptionally pared back set, is profound and thought provoking. Richard, do you have any thoughts on this?
0: I have a lot of thoughts on this because Good. you can't ignore it, can
1: you? It's a big no, part of the no. film. You really can't ignore this.
0: <laughs> you can't ignore it. You can't ignore it. Listen, though, the thing is, it's obviously a choice, right? We, we accept that it has to be a choice. Yeah. Now. <laughs>
1: That sigh didn't sound too weary, Richard. It was almost like a happy sigh you were giving there.
0: Maybe what that is saying is that we're supposed to be focusing on the characters and the story and not on everything else.
1: Yes, that's what I think it's all about. There's another thing
0: that you could argue, which I'll come to in a minute, actually. Which it actually links back to something we said earlier. But... On the other hand, the thing about most films is I think people are very used to seeing things in a context. There's plenty of contexts and settings and scenery that would not distract from the story and the characters quite as much as something that looks like the drama studio of an academy (laughs) does in this film. You constantly have to think about, about it and why they're doing it don't you? I mean, it's not
1: just a theatre stage. It's a theatre stage at the Bolton Octagon.
0: Exactly, kind of thing, exactly, you know. yeah. Yes, so, it is. It It's like theatre in the round because there's no backstage for the characters, right? There's
1: no backstage, no.
0: They're, you know, the whole town is... And it's a one-road town, which has... And it, So here's the thing, right? In your mind's eye, you could argue that like a book, you're, you're allowed... You're allowing your imagination to fill in the scenery. So how do you imagine the setting, the township of Dogville, in your mind's eye when you think about it?
1: (laughs) Is that a question, Richard? It is a
0: genuine question, yeah. I'm interested to know what you think of.
1: Look, can I I just get to that sort of tangentially, if that's okay? Right, uh, because you were saying, why on earth are there chapters to the movie? And I think this ties into the set decisions in a very broad sense. I've just found out it's, it's to reflect nineteenth-century novels that were often written in that kind of slightly haughty tone because Tom will get to yeah he, he thinks, thinks he's, as, he's a moral hero you see or he thinks no, he's not as is he though
0: he's not a moral he's yeah but he thinks, he thinks himself, in
1: himself yeah. as a moral hero so like there's a tone of those that era of novel that you know have very lofty pretensions yeah. Uh, which is strange because actually it's set in the early twentieth early century, I think, in the Depression era, Dust Bowl era, because they drive up in big old long cars, you know. So uh-huh. why it's not why it's not why they don't ape the style of early silent films? I don't know. But anyway, you know, you, so you're saying Dust Bowl era,
0: and you're imagining yeah. like a desert Western town, yeah, with a, a mine in it. Or
1: maybe desert, you know, Dust Bowl Oklahoma town, you know, that's been. Whipped out of the Wizard of Oz somewhere, yeah, but something like that, yeah.
0: But here, here's the problem with that is, firstly, it gets cold and snows in the winter time. Yeah, they're up, up a go mountain, through, aren't they? They're up a mountain, but it also feels like they're somewhere in the northern states because I agree, yeah. one of Lars, oh, not Lars, Scott, Stella, is it one of the guys in the township is growing and harvesting apples from an orchard down down the valley somewhere so it seems like a more northern state, particularly yeah. as the guys who show up the gangsters will come to at some point show up in a, like a car with your Tommy guns, which is very much a urban city, Chicago New York-y kind of thing not really from, yeah. not Frontier Town Western and yet that old mineshaft that's really kind of old west Frontier Town stuff it is
1: so It's all very mixed up isn't it Well
0: this is it I think one reason why There is no set and setting for this Other than chalk outlines Is you couldn't find one I don't think you could have gone to the US You know honestly looking for a location A location scouting operation Would have found somewhere That would have matched properly You know you want somewhere That looks like an old west town But is somewhere in the north In the mountains Close enough to Chicago Or New York or something Maybe it doesn't
1: exist Okay, so yeah, that's a fair point. Can you hold your point for a second? Richard? It's a very important set that I'm going to forget. Okay, right, so I'm with you in, in terms of what I've read, seems to suggest that one of the reasons they chose this settler set was to have a focus on the humanity, uh, the portrayal of humanity, uh, in terms of focus on the people. In which case, with a set with no doors, why are actors <laughs> opening and closing <laughs> invisible doors with sound effects? Can somebody explain how that is a focus on humanity? Anybody? That's just,
0: it's just standard drama school exercise, Paul. That's what you do. <laughs> That's what you do to
1: indicate a door. <laughs> this movie has been called, of many things, pretentious, exasperating, and unenervating. I would say <laughs> that in particular kind of ticked those boxes if those boxes were trying to be ticked. That's all I'm going to say. Richard, back to what you were saying about could this have been shot anywhere in the U- US? No, it couldn't. You're absolutely right.
0: Yeah, look, what I accept
1: is, is this. It must be really
0: hard doing location scouting, particularly for a period piece where you need somewhere that doesn't have a 7-Eleven and McDonald's and, you know, television aerials <laughs> Especially if you decided that it has to be in the mountain near a mountain pass, it has to have a mine shaft, it has the snow in the winter time, and it's got to be a one town, you know a one road town with no way in, with, you know all of these things would make location scouting a major investment. And Lars von Trier wrote this quickly. Not the first film that we've ah. watched. I think he wrote it in this a couple film. of weeks.
1: You were saying there was one. There was, well, there was a comedy that we wrote that, it'd be, that we were watched. It been written within like written in a hotel with the two guys in a hotel by two guys within a couple of weeks. Oh,
0: awesome. That's right. It's and do you, do you know what? These films that are written in a week or two, they don't really fare very well, do they? I would say maybe go
1: away and do a second draft at least. <laughs> do you know, absolutely, I, I, I believe that you know brainstorm. Throw it up on the wall. Don't criticise at that point, but then afterwards, be be very, very picky about what ideas are stuck on the wall or not. Yeah. You know, and yeah. this is a great first draft. Not to be, as a first draft, if you took this down off the wall, you'd say this is amazing. But it, obviously, it's not filmable, and it's not it's not ready for consumption, is it on any level? So, so yeah, I'd have to agree with that observation. Uh, look, so, I mean, he, but,
0: but he writes this movie really quickly. He thinks, oh, God, I've got to find a, finding a location where this is going to be a nightmare. I probably realised that. Probably even didn't have a very clear idea of what this town looked like anyway. Just wanted certain elements to be in it, you know, physically. And it must have seemed like a major obstacle to getting the film made. Much easier to go to Scandinavia, to go to Sweden or wherever they filmed it, get a soundstage... <laughs>
1: And just do it in the soundstage, and that's what they did, you know. I mean, it, it's very it's lacking any kind of geographical gravity because they've chosen a, 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 an Englishman to essentially do the male lead, and an Australian, to do, an the Australian film. to do the female lead. So, kind <laughs> of Scandinavian the nuance
0: supporting to do,
1: to do, yeah, to, you know, to be like the third biggest guy in the, in the movie. So, any nuance that the actors can bring to locality or that kind of flavour it doesn't really exist does it, you know uh. So Paul according to the
0: thing I read somewhere, IMDB or Wikipedia or something, Paul Bettany was convinced to do this film by Stellan Skarsgård who told him that you have to do a Lars von Trier movie I think he's obviously worked with him before So he persuaded Paul Bettany to come and do this film I think probably Nicole Kidman took some persuading as well because I don't think she likes flying or she very rarely takes commercial flights but she flew over to Scandinavia to this place to film this on the south if beach.
1: anybody's wondering Nicole does that thing where she whispers her lines <laughs> a lot if anybody's wondering if Nicole does it in this movie like she does in every movie yes she does She's a very versatile actress.
0: And so the story goes that a few weeks into the filming, Paul Bettany is asking Stellan Skarsgård, you know, when does the fun start? (laughs) And Stellan has to admit, oh, yeah, this is is just how it is. (laughs) Oh. So I'm not sure that the cast really enjoyed making this. It must have been a lot of work for the actors, because they, as you say, they had to do a lot of door-open miming and stuff like that and you know there's very little furniture to
1: sit on there's another decision yeah which is hey this is not like a movie we're going to focus on the characters we're not going to have a backdrop we're not going to have expensive scenery and staging but we're going to have all the other actors and actresses like carrying on what they're doing on stage in invisible with invisible walls huh. on their sort of what was all that about? If we're not supposed to, if we're not supposed to focus on what's happening, and focus on the actors behind, what well, I don't. What was all that about? I don't. Oh know. well, Paul, you, you could, know. That's the thing about this film.
0: You, you can see what?
1: all of the elements,
0: can't you? It's almost like what we would call it—maybe a panopticon, the ability to, from one place, to see everything going on. If only, I was wondering, if only there was a documentary. At no point.
1: Wait, wait a minute. Stop, 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 stop. It's literally drawn like a map on the floor, isn't it? The the, the actual layout of the town. So people are in their supposed houses and we're looking down on it like it's a Roman room without walls. (laughs) Yet they can't hear each other, but we can see that they are going on with their lives and can't see each other. So in essence, we know that there's nothing that people behind walls can be doing to interact. So why are we seeing them at the same time? Why don't we just cut from one to the other like a normal movie would do? It doesn't make sense, does I it? I think there
0: was some kind of documentary that you could watch that would explain the philosophical <laughs> Please, concept. Please do of the
1: not tell me there is a is there this Okay. <laughs> I'm sure Who's the guy Who's the guy that made that documentary about bears What's he called We need him here
0: Uh, uh, What is his name
1: Damn,
0: Werner Herzog
1: Yes This is a job for Werner Herzog Werner
0: Herzog This this town is a panopticon (laughs) You can see all the members of the town Within Within the panopticon at one go
1: But you cannot see the walls (laughs) <laughs> That's really important. That is profound. The worlds are not visible
0: <laughs> Listen, chapter 1. Tom, our hero, who thinks of himself as a writer and a philosopher and the moral center of this town, which by the way doesn't have a priest, although they have a bell tower on a community
1: hall. His dad is kind of like the spiritual the leader of the town. He's, no, a, he's doctor. a doctor. Yeah. He's learned.
0: Tom hears gunfire. And I think that's it, isn't it?
1: Yeah, pretty soon. It transpires. This troll-up, Nicole, turns up. That's chapter two, though, isn't it? Oh, I'm sorry.
0: I think she turns up and kind of throws herself at the mercy of Tom. It's a sort of transactional ethics thing where he goes, you know, well, I could help you out. You don't want to go over the mountain pass, you'll die. I could help you out, though. You could stay here. You'd be safe from whoever was shooting at you, which is what we learned the gunfire he
1: heard was all about. But I want to use you as an illustration to these townspeople to show them how they can improve themselves and thereby make myself the new spiritual leader of the town. Would that be a fair summation?
0: And to make sure that you're accepted, you can do some odd jobs around the town. You can help out. All good.
1: But it's fairly obvious that it's fairly obvious that she's a bit of a gangster's trollop or something like that. Does that make sense?
0: Well she's certainly far more like, worldly and you know, well
1: put together than all of the villagers. Isn't it implied that she's a gangster's doll kind of thing?
0: Well, she's running away from a gunfire, isn't she? I yeah. don't know how I didn't guess that, to be honest. I didn't guess it at the start. Maybe you did. Maybe you're smarter than me. But she's obviously in some bad business, right? I, yeah. I assumed, Yeah, I assumed she was probably a sex worker of some kind.
1: Oh, just a sex worker? No. I assumed she was like, kind of like a kept lady kind of thing.
0: Chapter three. Tom puts this idea to the village in the community hall, and ultimately they'll
1: let her stay. Or as my aunt would say, a trollop. So.
0: Obviously, these chapters are much, much, much longer than we're giving them credit for here. A whole lot of nothing happened in all of these chapters. <laughs> There's character
1: development <sighs> of things, you know. There are a lot of achingly inconsequential conversations, huh? <laughs> the thing is, this is the other thing about it being real. It's it's all done this folksy kind of... I don't know if you've read any Garrison Keeler, the sort of Midwest novelist. who writes about very ordinary situations but injects a lot of humour in an insight into them it's like they've taken his very upright tone of how people in the midwest might speak when they're in public but he's just spread it out into very private conversations like there's there's very little earthy talk it's all quite on a sort of Quite a morally straight jacketed frame the conversation that the conversation occurs i just thought that was a real drawback in the dialogue that there wasn't really any any breadth to to the to the experience that the dialogue brought to, to the whole movie
0: tom is supposed to be our hero right i think yeah. he's certainly the character we focus on and as i say he sees himself as kind of a moral leader of the town but
1: he's—he
0: doesn't actually have any philosophical insight, does he?
1: No, he just wants to be a writer, doesn't he?
0: He doesn't write either, though, does he? He doesn't write anything that we're aware of, except perhaps yes. possibly this story. Maybe in a couple of weeks before he gets it made on a on a drab soundstage. <laughs> <laughs> We've done three chapters so far. We're about probably about an hour into the movie. Nothing much has happened. <sighs>
1: Can I can I just say this was one pounds ninety nine on Amazon Prime, right? Oh, yeah.
0: yeah,
1: I paid for that four times <laughs> because I simply you got forty eight hours to get through each one pound ninety nine installment. I I just couldn't get through this movie partly because of my illness, but so also even though you had
0: nowhere to go, you couldn't do anything. but sat. In I bed. couldn't do
1: anything else. i I'd, I'd exhausted myself with good morning T- good morning Britain TV uh, just it was me and this movie and I, I just couldn't get through it I'm really sorry I wanted Apologize to
0: apologise to me Paul you, you've spent three times or four times more than, than you know most people would on this film
1: and I could have bought it for less but I don't <laughs> think I want to keep it so I'm glad I spent more on it
0: how do you give a film away that you bought yeah <laughs> Uh, do you have any other observations for the first
1: three chapters, Paul? Oh, you've not been that organised in your notes. I, I, I didn't really break it down into chapters, Richard. Oh, it seemed the obvious thing to do to me. There's not that much to follow, though, is there, really? Chapter four. What happens
0: in chapter four, actually? Things are going the well. The police arrive. Ah, that, is, that is what happens. But things are going well for uh, Liz, I think she's called. Oh, Liz. And she's doing jobs, she's... and she's getting paid, and they give her a little she's house. She's been
1: told not to go through the gooseberry bush. That's the only thing that's happened, really. Yeah, she transgressed. That's
0: certainly true. She's been given uh, a kind was of house, which was like the old
1: mill or something.
0: And she's got a keen eye for the artwork of these tiny china figurines that are being sold in the, the convenience store. The kind of thing that my grandmother used to have on the mantelpiece, actually. You know, like the one with that little boy sitting on a branch or on a swing or something? Yes. Um, horrible little things. But anyway, she likes I, them. I don't think
1: they are horrible, Richard.
0: Oh, right. You like them. Do you have one? No. A figurine. Uh, as you say, the police show up and they've got a missing poster. I think it has a reward dun, as well, dun, doesn't it? Dun. But they hammer up this missing poster in the town and he looks around suspiciously. But the villagers don't give her up at this point. I agree, not to. But she's
1: hidden in the mine, I think, while the police are rooting around the abandoned mine.
0: But they are now thinking that she may be more of a liability than they originally thought. So I think they start quid pro quoring her. Yes, exactly. Now the stakes are higher, so they're getting her to do more and really indulging her less. Chapter five, in which. Tom. Oh, she's called Grace, not Liz. I don't know where I got this from. <laughs> Tom and Grace declare love on the 4th of July. They do. Yes. But she's being asked to do more and more, as we say, as a result of the wanted
1: poster. Chapter six, I think, is where it all starts going wrong for Grace, isn't it? She's been given extra work because, you know... There's a police bounty on her head as well as criminals looking for her. And so uh, so what happens at that point? Well, they,
0: also, that, that, she's babysitting at some point for the family with a lot of kids.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and the 10-year-old son is like, there's is is something very weird going on with him. He's like a bit sexual advanced for his age He is, yeah. He negotiates He's like saying, like saying I want to sit room. on your lap,
0: first and he gets of all, spanked.
1: which is kind of kinky. Yeah. And he's like, come on, spank me. It's really weird. It went really, really wobbly at some
0: point. Well, this is Lars von Trier for you. I think a couple of his other films were Nymphomaniac and Antichrist is another famous one. Then, sadly, Grace is raped by, I think by Stellan Skarsgård character. I've got that wrong. The father of that household, I think, doesn't he find that at some stage Yeah. We learn, I think, that this becomes a regular occurrence for Grace in, in the village now.
1: So so the mother finds out about her slapping the boy also, doesn't she? That's right. So she gets in yeah. trouble for that. Yeah. And it's her husband that's been raping her. Abusing her. But it, the, yeah. wife, the wife just assumes that actually it's Grace that's been pursuing her husband, you see. And at this point, I think the whole village starts to turn on her. Is that right? Chapter 7-ish?
0: Well, she tries to escape, doesn't she? She stows away in the apple truck. And she tries to get... She negotiates, yes.
1: Her escape.
0: But then the driver takes her back to Dogville eventually. And rapes her. Yeah, He rapes her on the truck, yep, takes her back. And when she gets back...
1: Having tried to extort more money out of her,
0: to begin with. And they colour her. And they chain her to an iron wheel, that was part of the mine workings of the mill or something.
1: So at this point, Pooh Nicole Kidman has to drag an iron wheel around an empty stage set. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. act. It's heavy acting yeah. work, isn't it? This is she's doing. It's look, she's she's earned some money. Let, let's fair dues, you know. I mean, like, well, she's definitely earned think, your look, money. <laughs> looking yes, looking back 20 years it's interesting because like Paul, Paul Bettany being everywhere is one thing 20 years ago uh, and it's a peculiar kind of Englishness that probably doesn't exist anymore that he represents even as an actor and even his characters but Nicole Kidman of course she has those looks almost porcelain doll Barbie like looks some of it is maybe at her age at that point plastic surgery but it's like it's like a look like Kylie Minogue that I mean I think a lot of people have moved on from haven't they really so it's interesting to see Nicole being the superstar that she was back then uh, doing this movie Uh, but she yeah I mean she earns her money completely without doubt carting around a giant iron wheel and the giant Well, I don't know what is attached to her neck It's some sort of
0: well, it's an iron collar, isn't it? That
1: they put her in? An iron collar,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul! I never knew you had an infinite for Nicole Kidman in that way.
1: No, I'm not, what, what I'm saying is, you know, I think her looks this day, uh, these days, they're quite vanilla and quite pretty, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? In a very sort of porcelain doll kind of way. It's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that's good, but I'm just, I'm saying maybe we don't, we don't want that level of niceness. In the beauty that we associate with female stars these days, hmm. yeah, too nice, yeah, quite right, A bit too nice. <laughs> Nothing. I'm not, I'm not complaining about that or saying you know anything about it. I'm just saying, it maybe tastes tasted different these days, and therefore, like the movie, kind of feels dated for that. And Paul Betton's presence. Chapter eight. Tom, her boyfriend, who has well, declared his love for her. He, but he's done nothing to he, help he's her. He's done has nothing he? to
0: help her. That's a is thing, isn't it? <clears throat> Christ, no. he's—he hasn't
1: even spoken out for her. No, no. exactly. He's in the town weak. hall meetings that he started,
0: yeah, yeah. He tries to sex her. I think at this point, doesn't he? But I think he—he—he mm. he, he, he says he doesn't want to do it in these conditions. Uh, I don't, and I don't know that that's sparing
1: her or sparing himself. From I think it. he has to be persuaded by about, about that actually. Yeah. She has to remind him, like, do you really want to do it in these conditions? And then he's like, oh, oh, no, maybe I don't. But then he says, well, everybody else has done it to you, so why not me? That's
0: right. And again, uh, a complete failing of his moral character here, isn't it? He's not showing
1: any moral leadership at all. And also, great acting from Nicole Kidman there, I thought. That was like when Nicole does her whispering stuff.
0: He starts a book. I think we're given to understand he's writing a story about this story. Uh, That's his book, isn't it? It always happens, doesn't it, when there's a writer in in a film. It's always that they're going to write about the story that you're watching. That's that's always the twist. Um, So that's it. Eight chapters so far, Paul. The ninth chapter is going to resolve all of this neatly, in a satisfying way. (laughs) First of all, is there anything you want to say so far about the relationship of this film to the concept of free will?
1: No. There isn't. <laughs> but should, is there anything you want to say about Free Will? Well, Eight jumps trying
0: to, I'm trying to divine where Adam was coming from, particularly. I think partly what this film is talking about is sort of the way crowds, you know, people acting in groups and crowds act in ways that individuals don't. You know, and there's kind of collective responsibility, isn't there, where I think what's going on in what what we're supposed to read into this is everyone in the town is worried about what their personal feelings and decisions about about Grace mean for the for the town. They realise that by harbouring her they might be endangering everybody. Consequently yeah. it's a dangerous thing consequently they all feel as though you know showing her uh, hospitality and harbouring her is is a generosity they can't give for themselves so collectively they have to kind of extract something from that in, in a transactional ethics kind of way and so I presume all of them would have said that you wouldn't want to mistreat her but Collectively, they find an accommodation with that that behavior. That that's the best I can do. Ooh. But honestly, I don't believe
1: it. That's a very good. That's that's a very good analysis uh, and really well put together. It's not. I mean, I would just approach it from a much more basic level. Is you know, dogs feel vulnerable when they're crapping, uh, and people feel vulnerable when you know they're taking in. New people to the community. I I would just, I you see, I wouldn't go to a moral level. I would just cast this on a visceral level, and that's why I don't think it's necessarily a deep movie in any sense. I think there's nothing necessarily forcing you to think about. I mean, Tom's philosophy is cod anyway. We don't actually see what his philosophy is in the movie. No, so we don't. We like. I think the way if this had been better written would be the philosophy of the movie would be echoed either in silhouette or in shadow or some way through Tom's own thinking as he develops as a philosopher or a writer. And therefore, it would be able to be given substance and would be able to see what the main thrust of the movie was without it being explicitly stated. But of course, as you were saying, this was written extremely quickly, and that was... That undertaking, which is a massive undertaking of writing something very well, uh, wasn't <laughs> done. You see, so so I, I, you know, whatever the philosophical point is, it, it it could be about you know the viscerality of of, of humans, or it, it could be about the brilliant point you're making, transactional ethics, which as you say, you don't believe, but it's still a very good point. Uh, in any case. It wasn't well set out in the movie. No,
0: no it's not well done, and you,
1: you, it's not well done. To your
0: point, you don't you don't get any sense of the internal sort of um, the, the, the internal life of Tom really,
1: I don't, I, and that's I, why chapter that's why chapter at the end of chapter eight doesn't work because when she says, "Look, you could have me if you force your way on me like the rest of them did." And this provokes some sort of self doubt. Why? What? What is he thinking? Why is it going to? He doesn't want this self doubt to self doubt to linger because he thinks it's going to affect his ability to philosophize in the future. How we need to see that in a mechanistic sense, don't we? We don't. In yeah, we don't, to,
0: we don't know him. We, we, know we don't not, know him. We've known so little
1: about him, other than it's the fact a that he's a well spoken character. Yeah. yeah, a very well spoken character talking like he's. I don't know if they wanted to focus on the characters. Why are they talking like? Characters out of a novel, and not like real people. Early twentieth century people. You see, what's all that about? The other thing before we get into chapter nine and the ending is to say the camera work. I think it's supposed to be deep and meaningful. I can only I can only link it to two other types of camera work, and I'm you know I'm not cinematographer, but that it, it resonates with. The first one is the office. And the second one is, what's it called? Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the comedy police sitcom. <laughs> and it's kind of like, in both of those, the camera lingers as people move off and doesn't know where to go.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: So if they were trying to recreate the intimacy of that's true. stage... That's true. That's
0: why... Again, it feels a bit and ram doesn't it? It feels like all of the, the edits
1: and the marks
0: aren't quite hit.
1: It feels... all oh, right, oh, right. But if I was watching... It, in the stalls, my eyes can cut very quickly. Yeah. yeah, And so that wouldn't be the feeling of, like, like in the office where people walk off and then the camera doesn't move and then moves with them yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. It's all this sort of stuff where you said, look, I'm not going to give you directions, cameraman. You're not going to know what's going to happen. You just got to follow the action. And it it somehow really doesn't work here. I can't explain why. It just doesn't work. Well, it's because there's nothing to see, is there? <laughs> 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 well, that's it in the office. There's people talking to and fro, <laughs> and it makes sense for the camera not to follow exactly yeah. what's going on. You see, it adds to that sense of bubbliness to the whole the whole experience of the humour. But none of that. It's one the dialogue here is exceptionally slow. Hmm. There is no to and fro, so why are we doing this weird cut? I don't know, and weird tracking. I don't know. ha. <sighs> However, this did win 2016 BBC poll of the greatest films of all time. It didn't win, but it was up there, along with obviously some other obscurest things that people that listen to Radio Three like.
0: And for that reason, you want the BBC to be shut down, <laughs> take the <laughs> license fee away.
1: Well, I've got good news for you, hey, Paul. <laughs> this this could be an effect of you know brain damage or brain frog of COVID. But since I've been watching Richard Madeley, he's back on Good Morning Britain, if anyone was interested. Huh? And I wouldn't know that if I didn't have COVID. But as I've been watching TV religiously, as I'm, you know, with my duvet on the sofa every day, I have, you know, Richard has vented at length about how obscure this Radio 3 is. And, you know, I have to agree with him. And who would think that you would agree with Richard Madeley at 7.30 in the morning? Well, there we go. Paul, it's obviously age.
0: This is the most chilling consequence of long COVID that
1: I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> You've caught Richard Madeley. Don't want to get. <laughs> I, I've caught Richard Madeley, and I want to get rid of the BBC license fee. No, I don't. Actually, the second pub, but I've caught Richard Madeley, and it's got me thinking: AITB, AITB, the Reddit, the Reddit thread. Not am I the asshole, but am I the boomer? And it seems like I am. You know. You're the boom. You're, we're not boomers, Paul. We're too young to be boomers. If I'm if I'm agreeing with Richard Maidler, then I am a boomer in spirit. Is not boomer a
0: boomer in spirit. I see. Yeah.
1: yeah, there we go. Richard, I think we we've got to come round to scoring this. Thing. No, we don't. We've got we to do chapter oh, well, nine. We ain't explain what happens. Exactly. So yeah, this is the right. big. This is the big part of this
0: film. Perhaps the most exciting thing that happens. You have to wait. Two and two hours fifty minutes for it. This is the M- two hours fifty eight minutes. <laughs> the M Night Shyamalan ending, the big twist. <laughs> Chapter nine. Grace Nicole Kidman turns out is the mob boss' daughter.
1: Dunk, dun, dun
0: The people who've been looking for all this time. We
1: kind of knew this. I've watched Bugsy Malone, the kids gangster movie, where they fire custard pies at each other. It was something very similar.
0: The mob boss turns up. Actually, he had turned up once before, hadn't he? Um, yeah, in no. the car, but he didn't but, show his face. But with curtains, yeah. Curtains in the car. So he shows up. He's probably
1: an Arsenal Leg Plus. He
0: shows up literally mob handed uh, with a bunch of guys with Thompson machine guns. And she's rescued from her enslavement. She goes in the back of the car with Daddy. And he asks her what she wants to happen. And she tells them to destroy the town.
1: And I thought this is maybe the one dialogue where maybe they'd let the actors run with it and say, hey, make it naturalistic. Because none of the dialogue was naturalistic in this movie that was supposed to expose expose human character, potentially. Uh, the mob boss where they was have James Caan, like this... wasn't it? That's right. So him and Nicole have this kind of 2 quack You you know, this kind of argument where he says, you're arrogant, and she's like, no, you're arrogant. And like... I think they'd improvised the reasoning behind it and it it just came across as a really natural argument where people are trying to prop up what they're saying with, no, you are and you're the same kind of thing and not really making much sense. Or maybe it was just really bad written script, I don't know. But I thought that was the only dialogue in the whole movie that kind of flew a little bit.
0: I I did enjoy this ending, partly because I thought, God, it's going to be over soon. (laughs) (laughs) What was the ending? Well they they do torture everyone they kill Tom and all the villages I believe all
1: the townsfolk. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of glad Tom got done.
0: This is the thing, the townsfolk
1: were beyond redemption, right? They were
0: Is that fair? Yeah, I think I think it is fair. No one stood up stood up for her, so ultimately, I think I think they got what was coming to them. So the ending is kind of justice porn, isn't it? It is justice porn. But was it you
1: know. And of course, there's a nice bit where the dad tries to convince her to leave the town. She isn't convinced at first, and then finally, she really comes around to the idea of leaving and, you know, burning and killing everybody inside. So I didn't expect that. It's quite a nice ending. I yeah,
0: thought. Yeah, I agree.
1: Now, yeah. having done that, and of course, the coup de gras, the coup de gras is that she she takes out Tom with a bullet to the back of the head, like. Very, very single-mindedly. So, so yeah, because he deserves it. He was the one, like, maybe not all the townspeople owe or anything, but Tom definitely does owe us yeah. something. Yeah. Uh, and he, he refused to pay it. So, in that sense, you know, justice is done. But, and maybe it was what they're trying to prove, through executing justice, Tom's justice, her justice, things just go bad. So, justice in itself is a useless thing.
0: And interestingly, justice comes at the hands of the mob. You know, there's no police involved here. Of the mob, yeah. It's score time then, isn't it? That's it. We've come to the the end of the film. Nine chapters done, three hours. (laughs) Three (laughs) hours. Help.
1: (laughs) Three hours will never get back, Richard. I'm not getting any younger, I don't know about you. For hell's sake, for Christ's sake, I'm agreeing with Richard Madeley. Well, Paul, I'll tell
0: tell you where we are
1: younger and
0: that's in the astonishing documentary panopticons
1: <laughs> <laughs> please no no oh no don't don't put it on the server please richard
0: all right then tell me what the scores are for this film paul
1: well we've got plot we've got acting but what else have we got I mean, we can't have we can't have set and scenery we can can have we? We can't have special effects production values
0: what special Let's do special effects, effects first then. Look, and the fact that you are me that question means they must have been very, very good because you didn't spot them. So here's the story. What here's were the story. they? Uh, you, if you remember the opening shot, and I think they show it again at, at another point in the film, the opening shot is actually top down, so you see the town in plan as chalk outlines.
1: Are you going to say it was CGI? Well, here's the thing.
0: It, it, it was CGI thing. It's discovered that Please. The uh, the sound stage that they filmed it on Wasn't tall enough For yeah. them to get all of that in shot It was impossible You couldn't put the camera high enough With a wide enough lens To see the town like that Laid out And so that had yeah. to be made Composited digitally From lots of different smaller shots Of different bits of it Oh for fucks <laughs> So that bit was special
1: effects. Can I just interrupt you? <laughs> like right. If we're gonna have a prop stage Yeah, with invisible doors that make sounds when you <laughs> open them like if that's to get away from props and scenery and frippery that takes away from actions, why have we got several fucking full size four trucks driving <laughs> up and down? Up and down the stage. Explain that. Well, you had to them
0: me? done, you had them sit down in the invisible Well
1: <laughs> when I was a star of my primary school pantomime, like the donkey was two people. Do you know we 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 extemporized I did a skit scene where I operated as a doctor on the on the headmaster and we did it behind a screen with a projector, like project we did it shadow puppet play. And I pulled out sausages from behind his stomach and it looked like they were coming out of his stomach because it was all projected on the screen. I, I, I resolved and I saluted. Wow. I solutionized. It's them. transformation. It's they, a, sh- a great it's shame that, yeah.
0: that people aren't able to see that performance and,
1: and that my talent wasn't further developed, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right, what yeah. they should have done was like... What the hell were we talking they, about? They oh, should SFX. have done it
0: like Bugsy Malone where you've got pedal cars
1: and splurge guns... <laughs> Well, would that have made more sense, really, if you want to sort of, you know, take away the reality of the reality, (laughs) instead of having rusty old Ford pickups driving all over a bloody stage? I mean, it's it's nonsensical. (laughs) It's neither nor, isn't it? What they did. So for special effects, I'll give it a solid seven. Think they were invisible. I think what we did, what we did, is we wore (laughs) those kind of cardboard dungaree cars. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Like cardboard. Cardboard box, and then you like strap it over <laughs> your shoulders like a pair of dungarees, and like you pretend to be the car kind of thing. They could have done that, it's very physical acting. they, they wanted to yeah. go, I like that. They were, well, I mean, they're poor Nicole carrying a bloody bear trap round, didn't <laughs> they? But sorry, so special effects. I'm gonna give them f- f- You five didn't even know that they were for in no there, reason.
0: they must be brilliant.
1: It's exactly brilliant. Five, well, well, Let's do acting, just let's not do acting because this is
0: a strong cast. Really strong cast.
1: A strong cast that really underperformed. Underperforms. under-performs. Uh, they had not, to act
0: their heart yeah, out.
1: Yeah, not in difficult conditions. They did, and it was still, sh- it was still shit. Okay, I'm not saying it was their fault. <laughs> the results, however, were not great. It's gonna be a six for me. Yeah, I think a six is where I was feeling as well. Which is a bad score given the talent that's on tap here.
0: But you know the characters are so unsympathetic. It's very difficult to get behind any one of them.
1: Um, True. Even
0: Grace, although she's the victim, right?
1: But, Richard, wait a minute. A great actor yeah. with a lot of clout, yeah. and like Nicole Kidman, has the power to say, look, this is shit, rewrite it, and she didn't do that. So that's down to her. Do you know I think I mean?
0: they're intimidated by Lars von Trier's reputation, though. Is, is he that?
1: Oh, he's, that, he's all that, is he?
0: Yeah. He's probably a very singular... Single-minded director with a vision.
1: I don't know, but when actors are that famous, they do have directorial power to some extent, and, and they should exercise it. And she didn't, obviously. So there we go. All right, on her head beard. I'll go seven.
0: I'll be more generous. I'll go seven. Okay. Plot, Richard. Hmm. What? Well, what? What is? It, is it even trying to say? I don't. I don't really get it.
1: <laughs> well, no. I think Adams like hit something there. About the inevitability and the inexorable nature of this and how it feeds into not just individual free will but as you were saying, the lack of free will that results from our statistical tendency to indulge in transforma- in, in transactional ethics so adding your point to his point, maybe it's throwing darts at the dartboard of of ethical. Navel gazing. But does it hit? Probably not. Mm. So, what would you give it? For what? Plot. We were doing plot. Oh, plot. Uh, I kind of like the ending. Yeah. Uh, Killing and... everyone, yeah. <laughs> getting it over with. <laughs> I didn't mind the first 10 or 15 minutes, as you know, as we we're getting used to the. <laughs> I actually thought it was a documentary about the stage. <laughs> I actually, you yeah, know, I just thought we were actually watching rehearsals at the beginning to, for a stage production. Um, or like the kind of, like a documentary about, you know, the kind of acting that goes on on a carnival cruise kind of thing, you know. Uh, but it wasn't, that wasn't the case. But, the, like, the beginning and ending were okay. Uh, and,. It developed, so I've got to score it at least a three point five, oh. and that's all I'm going to score it really, because it just it just dragged out too long. There was just so much unnecessary pap in there, and and yeah, so it's a three point five for me.
0: Hmm. It didn't make me think anything that I couldn't have already thought without the film, so I will only give it a four.
1: I was expecting Richard to score it a little bit higher than
0: that. We can, uh, because it's an arty movie, we can do our our, our arty, kind of moody,
1: whatever category, can't we? Mood and atmosphere. Yeah. Mood, impressions and atmosphere. (laughs) Okay, it hits some of those. I'm going to score it a five, but no more.
0: It does evoke something about an era that I know nothing about, except... (laughs) Except to say that yeah, I couldn't place it properly I couldn't sell whether it was a dusty western Or a, a chilly Urban western or American gangster movie So yeah I'll give it a four I'll give it a four Overall then It's also a four from me I don't think it I don't Whoa. think it meets the I don't think it meets the average film kind of threshold Maybe Maybe it does
1: do you think? <sighs> that's tough. I mean if it was Scandinavian, I'd go higher, but it it's, is not. Scandinavian. There's no it's, it's not exoticism. It's not really. Well it's Scandinavian director. It's not Ingrid Bergman, is it, let's face facts. So it doesn't have that exotic Scandinavian factor, you know? Like it doesn't have Scandinoir kind of feel to it, does it? So it's gonna be a five for me.
0: Slightly better than me. Well wow. that's dogville done. Adam, please let us know. Your your thoughts about it, since it was your film. Yeah. Uh, to-
1: and uh, Genuinely, I thought this was a nice break from the kind of stuff we've been watching. Definitely. However, and, and interesting, certainly thought-provoking, just a, 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 a trudge to get through, a slog to get through, and not ultimately rewarding the effort that you put into watching it. That's the only problem I've got with it. But, you know... If you like an arty film, watch it, is what I'd say. That's why I give it a five. I'm on the cusp of recommend, not recommend.
0: I think we might have to shove some more of Lars von Trier's films into the mix. But
1: yes. maybe not next week, Paul. Down our throat. What's your suggestion? We're not we're not fat and goose liver yet, <laughs> are we?
0: What is your suggestion for next week's film?
1: <laughs> well, let's get on a Paul Bettany trip. It is very nostalgic for a moment in... The evolution of modern British culture, and that explosion of confidence that happened at the pre-millennial, pre-millennium, post-millennium, where everything Brit was suddenly cool in the eyes of British people and nobody else, uh, and so like Paul Bettany was riding that, I think, wasn't he in a certain sort of way? Uh, and so, because it's in this movie, I'd like to choose another movie with Paul Bettany. Is it okay, because I have COVID, I have COVID, that I don't give you a choice, Richard, just tell you what to watch? Yes. So, I'd like you to watch, for other reasons too, A Knight's Tale.
0: A Knight's Tale. Heath Ledger, Paul Bettany. Yep. Heath Ledger, of mm-hmm. course, sadly dead. All right,
1: A Knight's Tale. So, I'm so all aboard. That's what it is. I've seen yeah. it before, but I do enjoy Brilliant. it, and I, I'm keen on it. I have seen it before and I couldn't remember. Like Maybe a couple of years ago I was thinking, what was that movie that I, I, I really, really wanted to watch again? Where it's kind of like knights turning up at some sort of you know medieval jousting thing. And, and this is it. So I never actually knew the name of it because I think I watched Did it. Did you say you were reading
0: ago, uh, Canterbury Tales or something? Something Chaucerian?
1: Well, I am. Do you know why? Because this is the other reason I want to watch this. Is this is what sparked this one? I it, I found it independently of Adam's suggestion, so it's not like Paul Bettany just came up, popped up, like another because he's one of your clan, probably. You like, he want a big
0: Facebook group or something? <laughs> or the other,
1: no, like he he popped up like the Witch of Clopper Castle <laughs> independently, yeah, right for both me and Adam. But I was doing this because like a couple of movies back, we watched A Field in England, oh, yeah, and I said. that I I thought there were deep parallels between that and The Pardoner's Tale in Canterbury Tales, which I think I wrote, as I said, wasn't written written by Chaucer. It probably was written by Chaucer, but definitely was heavily copied from other... Like, most of his tales were copied, but, like, obliquely. Whereas I think The Pardoner's Tale was almost like a direct lift. He just copied it from somebody else almost completely. But the interesting thing, The Pardoner in a night's Tale we're going to watch is actually somebody who used to live almost next door to you know, Oh my it, god. Claim to fame. We'll, we, we're yeah, going we'll to explore find out that about. next time. We'll find out about next, next time. Then,
0: on Drive-By Cinema, tune in again for an episode which for a maybe Tale. won't be late. Who knows? Until
1: then, <laughs> goodbye. See you in the next one, bro. Ciao for now.